No one told me. I was just, just under the mistaken impression that Tom had a whole back office full of minions who were coming up with these tips. And I discovered on Thursday he has no minions, and he was coming up with them on his own. And so I have some couple of lame ones for you this morning. Uh, you know, uh, when you like you go to the store and you have this impulse buying and you see this ice cream that looks delicious, it just looks like it's got all this chunky stuff in it, you think, oh, this is going to be great stuff. You take it home and it's, nah, not so much. And you stick it in the back of the freezer. Well, one night, you get this craving for ice cream. Come on, you're with me, you do that too. <laughs> and you go to the freezer and you look at all the freezers you've got in the house and you can't find any ice cream except that awful stuff that you bought on sale, and it's in the back of the... And it's, oh, i got to have ice cream. So you pull it out, you open it up, and what is it? It's slick and frosty. But you are so addicted. <clears throat> you got to have it. So what do you do? You scrape all that stuff off and you eat it. Well, I have a tip to pre- prevent freezer burn. I haven't tried this in the test kitchen yet, but uh, you take the little carton. You know, it used to be the half half-gallon kind of a papery carton. Now it's like a third of a gallon or something. And you trim down with a pair of scissors to the level of the ice cream. You cut around, and then you put the lid back on it. Supposedly, the, the, it creates more of a vacuum in there, and there's not so much air to cause the, the crystals. Now, this, this involves using a sharp object, so don't try this at home if you're under, taking medication or if you're just not too good at cutting. But it does also reduce the, you know, the storage container. So that's not so bad. Okay, here's the second. This is the one I'm most interested in. It really works because I tried this in the test kitchen yesterday. You know how when you cook with condensed soup and you you open the thing up and you turn it over and you start going like that and then you get get a knife and your spatula and you try to get it out and you shake it and find it falls out. I have the greatest news for you. I have discovered a way to get it out. It also involves a sharp object. I don't know if there's a theme here, but you turn it over, you take a knife or something that can punch, and you punch a hole in the top of it, and it goes, falls right out. I tried it two times yesterday just to see if it worked. It works both times. Here's the warning on this one. Don't poke your hand. But I bet some of you are going to try that before the day is over, or at least before the week's over. So that's the end. You know, some people are saying, boy, I just love those tips. They're my favorite part of the whole sermon. What a deep church we have. <laughs> you can just sort of tune out the rest of it because the tips are the really important stuff. Well, we, we finish up with the book of James today. And as I was editing this on Friday, which is my custom if I do this, I try to cut out words, and it's not been very good this week on editing. But uh, I, I decided to go out. We had uh, some lunch, uh, and I did some shopping, and during the shopping, I got frustrated really quickly because, first of all, I thought I could get this all done, you know, and the products are not where I thought they were. They've moved them. They move them all the time, and their categories don't make sense to me. I mean, it makes sense to somebody. I think the idea is to wander around the store, but I didn't want to wander around the store. I had things to do, and so I finally find stuff, and then they change the packaging you know, I'm looking for the blue package. Now it's not blue. It's a different color. And I'm just all tied up in knots, and I'm getting more impatient as time goes by, a little frustrated. And then, you know, finally get your stuff, and you get up to the, to the line to pay, and then you get the wrong line. 
You get the trainee who's never checked out anybody before. Wait, you know, and then the, you know, the tape on the cash register has to be changed. They have to search for an item. You're ready to take everything off the conveyor and go someplace else. And I just get, I'm just all tied up. And I get out, get in the car, and I, and I think to myself, what have I been working on? I've been working on this passage from James that talks about patience and prayer. I think I've sort of missed the boat. I'm the greatest example of impatience there is. I ask myself, why am I so impatient about this stuff? And I don't know whether it's God's voice or just, I don't know what it was, but I got this little sense that you are in too big a hurry. You want everything to happen in your time, in your way. You're too big a hurry. That's why you're impatient. I'm sort of like the old preacher Phillips Brooks who said, the trouble is I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Now, if, you, if you're all really honest with me, you'd say you've had these thoughts too. You know, God isn't exactly working things out like I planned for him to work things out. In fact, I do all the Bible things and, you know, nothing's happening. I pray and I wait. While I'm waiting, I pray some more. And it's a song says, you know, and nothing's happening. God isn't working. Uh-huh. Okay. Come on. God's not. I am patient because God is patient. And I wait and I wait. And I, some of you have to be like that. It can't just be me. And if you're, if you're really not ever impatient, then you need to be up here telling us how to do it. If you've never said, I prayed, nothing happened, then you may be not praying enough. But don't you have those moments when you think, I don't even think it's worth it. I'm afraid not to pray because something might happen. But then again, when I pray, nothing happens. I am really confused about how this works. It just doesn't seem to work. Have you noticed how we humans do all sorts of weird things to get God's attention, try to make him do what we want him to do? What about that snake handling guy this week? Have you heard about him, you know? Demonstrate his faith by handling snakes. What happened to him? He got bit. Then what happened? He died pretty extreme, isn't it? Well, here, the, the story is even worse. His father did the same thing. I hope the grandson's got this figured out or it could be a tragedy for the whole family. Man, we do weird things to get God's attention. I'm going to handle these snakes and for some reason it's going to prove my great faith and God's going to do something great. Well, you know, years ago, years ago, I got, I got to show this to you. I think I got to show it to you. I still have it. Oh, there it is. I got a prayer rug in the mail. And it really, I, I, just this could, be the, this could be the thing that's going to get God's attention for you. Uh, here it is. It's a prayer rug. Of course, it's got friends, so it has to be a rug, although it's paper. You just have to pretend here. And this was sent to me by a, an evangelist out east. And so here's what you do. First of all, on the other side of this is Jesus, and you, you, you look at Jesus, and you keep looking at him until he looks back at you. So are you ready? Now, if this is Jesus, I'm a bit creeped out already. <laughs> but if you keep looking at him, he's supposed to look at you. Now, I'm not exactly sure what this has to do with anything, but again, we do weird things to get God's attention. So once I do this, and once we, Jesus and I make this eyeball-to-eyeball connection, I'm supposed to then take this rug and go, let's see, i got to read it here, go into your room alone, it's like capital letters, alone, and decide what you want. Okay, here's what I want. It doesn't say how many things. I guess you can just as many as you want. 
And then, here's, oh, this is the key here. You kneel and you put the rug on your knees. Now, here's the, here's the important part. It, I'm not kidding. It must touch both knees. I guess if it misses a knee, you're out of luck. And I, it doesn't say whether Jesus is face down or face up. So this, I'm a little concerned it's going to work, but I put it down, and, I, and then, it, then it says then, fold it up after you ask God for whatever it is you want, you know, give me this, give me that, and it says place it in your Bible and let it marinate, it doesn't say marinate, but <laughs> you marinate the thing overnight, and it says play, not just any place, on Philippians 4.19, I think that's my God can supply all your needs, and then, you know, it's going to happen, but wait. It literally says here, I need this back, it says, so some other dear soul can, it really says this, so some other dear soul can benefit from this. So you need to send this back to me. And, oh, and by the way, if you could put a seed offering on the face of Jesus and send it back, we will agree in prayer that this will happen. Don't we do the weirdest stuff to get God's attention? And don't you think he must be laughing at this sort of thing? We are trying to use God as a genie. Three wishes. Rub the old rabbit's foot and I'm going to get what I want. And when it doesn't happen that way, we say, what's wrong with God? The the question is, what's wrong with me? It's not what's wrong with him. Could it be that there's a part of prayer that we are missing? Because we're so much into this magical, give me this, give me that sort of thing that we miss the rest of praying. And that's what we find here uh, in, in this passage. You know, if we don't get this right, and I'm not saying I got it right yet, but if we don't get this a handle on this, it can turn us away from God because He's not doing what we want Him to do. He's not faithful. He, doesn't, you know, he says this and nothing's happening, and, and it can drive us away. Chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, that is an example of patience in face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes, let your no, no, or you will be condemned. One, two, three, four times the word patience is used here. Two times the word perseverance is used. I think James is trying to get our attention. This is probably the very earliest letter to the early church, and this church was having a problem with waiting. They thought the return of Jesus was going to happen at any point, and it's not. And apparently, they were under some discomfort and suffering, and they wanted to be over with, and the Lord to return, and they're not having their prayers answered, and they're impatient, and nothing is happening. That's not so much different from us, is it? And so James uses some examples here. He says the farmer is a great example, isn't he? He plants stuff, and then he waits, and then good things happen. But it takes a long time. If the natural world is a demonstration of, this, of God's working, 
How about the supernatural world? How about the working of God? One prayer isn't going to make it. One planting is... Over time, with watering and fertilizing and weeds and all the things that happen, a crop happens. The farmer waits patiently. This word patience is the idea of far away from anger. That's what impatience really is. Impatience is letting anger get the best of us when things don't go our way. And so while we wait, we are to be patient, like the farmer. He also talks about here um, other prophets. You know, they heard these stories. The stories of the prophets of God and their mighty works on behalf of God. They didn't go through wonderful lives all the time. Things were bad for them. But he says, now we look at them as blessed and we honor them. In the long view, in the long view, we see that God worked through them in great ways. And then, of course, he uses Job. You know, the patience of Job. But he uses the word perseverance here, which is a long endurance in the face of hard times. Job refused to curse God and die. He questioned, he doubted, fairly vocally at times, but he refused to curse God and die. And he says the Lord is full of compassion. Looking back from the long view, we see that God had something going that nobody else got. I love the end of the book of Job because Job is talking back to God here at the very end, and he says, I know you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things too wonderful for me. We sometimes get fixated on stuff we know nothing about, things we cannot understand, things we cannot explain. Job goes on to say, I only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes, and I take back everything I said. If we wait patiently with endurance, there will be a time when this will make sense. I don't know when that is, but there will be a time. And we will say, I take back everything. I take back everything I ever said. A couple of other things here just to take note of before we move on. Apparently, in the church, because of this waiting and this impatience, the building impatience that the folks had, there was grumbling. Can you imagine in the church grumbling? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Said, so don't grumble against each other. This grumbling is not just your ordinary complaining. This is sort of like grumbling on steroids, holding a grudge. You know, like three years ago at four o'clock, you did this. You know, you ever been a person like that? Habitual grumblers in the church. Hard to believe. It kind of makes me feel better, though, doesn't it? Because we haven't changed much in all these years. Well, that brings me to the story. Let's hope I get it right this time. Man on a desert island. Been there many years. The rescuers finally come. And they see there he's arranged a nice life for himself. He has three huts built. And uh, they say, well, uh, what's this one? He says, well, this is where I live. Oh, okay. What's this one? Well, this is where uh, I go to church. Ah, okay. What's this one? Well, this is where I used to go to church. (laughs) We can always find something to complain about. And you know what uh, James says here? Stop it. 
It reflects poorly on your master. Stop it. That's all the advice he gives you. (laughs) Enough said. No complaining. Stop it. It Reflects badly on your master. Secondly, he talks about oath-giving. Now, apparently in the ancient world, uh, swearing by an oath was kind of an important thing because of sketchy integrity. And if you were to say, I swear by God that I will, that means something that you're really going to do it. But evidently there was a loophole. If you say, I swear that I will meet you here tomorrow with the, the sum of money I owe you, and you don't show up, I say, well, where were you? Well, I didn't swear by God. You get out of it. James says, don't be like this. Don't not play fast and loose with your integrity. While we're waiting, you are to be people who are honest. You do what you say you will do. That's what we do while we wait. Now let's go to the second part about prayer. I, this, is even, this bothers me even more than the first part. Is it, any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sin. While we wait, we pray. When we're happy, we pray. When we're sad, we pray. When we're sick, we pray. He describes here an ancient ritual of anointing with oil and praying. The Jewish uh, culture was familiar with this ritual of anointing because the anointing of kings and prophets was a sign. The oil was a symbol of God's presence and God's favor and God's spirit resting upon them. And so the elders were called upon to come for this sick person, anoint them with oil, which is a symbol of the presence of the spirit of God, and pray. But the oil could have meant even more than that because in those days there wasn't a lot of you know, medicine to deal with and so herbs and oils and all those kinds of things were used for healing. And so it is, it is possible that this oil that is used for anointing is some of the best medicine they could possibly give the person. There's not much we've got available so we use the best medicine, we invoke the presence of God and we pray. That's the way we ask for this healing. By the way, our elders here do that. I know it sounds a little odd to you if you're new here and new to, you know, it sounds like snake handling or something. But we do that here because we believe that many times the prayer over a person can have spectacular results, just as it says here. Our elders, uh, on, at the elders meeting Wednesday night, described to me that there are times when they gather to pray for a sick person like this, something in, there's something they experience they cannot explain. I don't, this does not mean to be weird or crazy. It's just something that happens as they pray together for the sick person that they feel the presence of God in some way. But now comes the hard part. The most perplexing statement here. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I want to rewrite that. The prayer offered in faith might make the sick person well. There's a chance the sick person could be well. The problem is, when we get to this point, almost if you're honest with me, every one of you said, I've done this. And the person I prayed for didn't get well. What's wrong with God? And that's where the seed of doubt gets placed. No use to pray. Nothing's happening. 
It's what I want. Didn't happen. I'm writing off. Now, the Bible talks about many different reasons why prayers don't get answered. Let me just give you a few. Sin. Our sin keeps us from God. Unacknowledged sin. Unforgiving spirit. If we're not willing to forgive others, it's hard for us to be a channel of God's grace and mercy to other people. Here's one I didn't remember until I looked it up. 1 Peter 3, 7. Marriage problems can cause us to have a barrier between us and God and the effectiveness of our prayers. Selfishness, James 2, 4. Excuse me, 4, 2. Selfishness, by praying for only what we want, our own selfish stuff, that isn't necessarily what's best for us. And there's another aspect of this. When we are gardening, what do we do sometimes to get the best flowers? We prune stuff back. And it grows, you know, you cut it way back and think this is never going to live. And all of a sudden it blossoms. Sometimes prayers are not answered because it's not the best thing for us. But none of these answers are entirely satisfiable to us in a Western mind who want to explain everything. I can't explain the why. I just know this, that the perfect man who prayed the perfect prayers prayed that this cup passed from him and it didn't. He prayed the prayer of faith. Nothing happened. Didn't work. I know that Paul had a disability of some sort. He prayed that it be removed. And he wasn't a slouch spiritually. Didn't happen. I'm thinking of the three, three boys, Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. Got in trouble for praying to God, and then they got placed in the fiery furnace, and they said, you know, our God is able, but even if not, we choose to serve and obey. I can't explain to you why some of these happen and some of these don't. The faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11, kind of helps a little bit. A little bit. Hebrews 11, 6. If you don't get anything else this morning, take this and chew on this. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, no one can please God because the one coming to God must believe He exists and He rewards those who come seeking. Here's the prayer of faith. Number one, I believe that God exists. He is powerful. He can do anything I ask. Number one. Number two, I know that God rewards those who seek after Him. I know that God wants the best for all of us who seek after Him. And sometimes those two things don't go together. Does that make sense? Sometimes answering my prayer is the worst thing that could happen. And so I pray the prayer of faith. And I trust God for the results. I don't stop praying the prayer of faith. I keep praying. Well, there's a part of this that might also help us. Verse 16 talks about confession. Confess your sins to God and confess your sins to one another. Confession is simply acknowledging the fact that we've done something wrong. We sinned against God or other people. Now, you know God already knows this. He already understands what you've done, but He wants you to say it. The desert father said something like this, the more a person conceals his thoughts, the more they multiply and gain strength. If you hide things, they have great power over you. So when you confess those things to him, they don't have power over you anymore. God can work with that. He says, okay, they get it. They know they're impatient. Thank, thank goodness they finally get it. And confess your sins to one another. You know what? They know it too. I'm impatient. My row up here, a family, they'll go, amen, they know that. They're just glad I know it. 
Maybe I'll do something about it one of these days, you know? Don't you just, I don't like confessors who don't do anything, you know? I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. And they do it again. Part of confession is doing something about it. Making amends, they say in AA. Making restitution. Changing. And you will be healed. A restored relationship. I know some very sick people in this congregation who are well in every way but physically. They're well emotionally. They're well spiritually. They're well relationally. Would they trade all of that for physical healing? I don't think so. Sometimes healing takes place in a number of different ways, and it's not just physical. Confess your sins one to another, and you will be healed. Then the key verse of the passage, 16b. I learned this in Bible school years ago. Are you ready? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, in English, that would go something like this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And, and James uses Elijah as the example. Here is an earnest prayer of Elijah. And God responds to the earnest prayer. All these Jewish Christians understood and knew this story. God responded. So you are to pray fervently and passionately with confidence that God is able. When you get a birthday card or a Christmas card, you open it up and you see the verse inside from Hallmark. Uh, You're such a wonderful person. You deserve the very best in life. Happy birthday to you. And then the name is signed. You go, oh, that's nice. Now, I already admit, I'm confessing again to you, I do not like to write personal messages in cards. I think that's why the verse is there. But I also have to, but you never can find the right verse either, can you? You know, because that's not really the most wonderful person you've ever met. You know, you've not been the greatest thing in my life. I want to write cards for people who don't want to say anything, but that's another whole story. So you look at the verse, you go, oh, that's nice. But what happens if somebody writes something in there? You know, my better half... Uh, does that wonderfully. She writes books in there. And, and I'm, people tell me they like that. I, I just don't like to do it. But <laughs> some people do. I'm confessing to you. I don't like that. But I sure like to read the notes that other people send me. That's the personal part. That's the personal part of prayer that we often miss. God doesn't need a hallmark verse that doesn't really mean what you say anyway. He wants it from the heart. Elijah prays from the heart. And look what happens. God answers his prayer. And on a final note here, we see that James encourages us to restore people, to go after people who've wandered, to not just talk about the weather and sports, but talk and and live in such a way that we restore people back to him. That's an important part of living out our life while we wait for him. So a few little possible applications, and we'll close. Number one, this is the biggie. Stop complaining. Enough said. If you don't have a lot of friends, I bet you're a complainer, and I bet they don't want to hear it anymore. You can only tell your sad story once or twice, and everybody else is tired of it. Stop complaining. Here's my challenge. I will not complain for blank this week. Some of you, five minutes is going to be it. 
Some of you could stretch yourself to an hour. See what happens. Replace complaining with compliments. So when you go to Applebee's today and you get an unsweet tea instead of a sweet tea, do not go ballistic on the server. Say, oh, by the way, I happen to get the wrong kind of tea. Would you mind to replace it? And by the way, you are doing such a great job of serving today. I really appreciate you. Can't you do something like that? God's people are known by shedding light on the subject, not throwing more darkness on things. Stop complaining. Okay, that's a hard one. Number two, keep your word, do what you say. That's a whole life, life there, but we'll go on. Just if you say you'll do it, do it. Again, that casts a shadow on your master when you don't. Pray honestly and passionately and fervently like Elijah. F.B. Meyer says the greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Make space in your life for prayer habits. Most of the time we say, oh yeah, I pray. It's one of those shopping list prayers. I want this, I want this, I drive and I pray, and I do this and I pray. I'm praying all the time. But what are you praying for? Give me this, give me that. Genie, I'm rubbing the bottle. When's it going to happen for me? When's my life going to get better? Do you ever have an extended time and a place in solitude and silence where you get before God and just say, God, here I am. You start. You start. I bet you're tired of hearing me ask for stuff. And if you continue that habit regularly over the course of your life, you will begin to develop a relationship with God that is indescribable. We're trying to raise the level of, of value of prayer here. I hope you've noticed. We've built a, they've put some prayer helps in the, in the room right down the hall, the family room one. Go in there and pray at any time. Um, the, the youth have got a great prayer room. The G156, the stations where you can go around and pray in the other building. We'll be passing out to you today as you leave a prayer calendar for the rest of the month where you could pray every day for something specific. Remember, pray believing God can do this. He is able to do it. And that's all you have to worry about. He's able. And pray knowing that he will do the best. Confess your sins to God and each other, and everybody will feel better. Everybody will feel better. And then engage yourself in some spiritual conversations. Stop talking about the weather and start talking about things that are important. And then when they ask you, why are you the way you are, you can say, let me tell you. May I tell you why? So, we come to the end. Imagine what your life would be like if you decided to give up control of your agenda and let God take it, that you would not be so impatient, no, not so short-fused. What if God really did everything your way? Would your life really be that much better? Would the world be that much better? No, I don't think so. Mark Batterson says sometimes God gets in the way of our prayers to show us a better way. So Friday, as I was driving away from the shopping area, I happened to turn on the radio. And I have to confess to you, I know you'll think less of me now, but I do listen to country music. And Zach Brown Band was singing their latest song. And the chorus goes like this. Ain't in no hurry, be a fool not to worry. About all the things I can change, can't change. And the time that I borrow can wait till tomorrow because I ain't in no hurry today. That was funny. God has a sense of humor. Because I was. I was so much in a hurry to get everything done and everything going my way, I didn't have a chance to really enjoy what was passing my way. I am glad that God is not impatient with me. 
And he's standing there looking, waiting for me. And as he sees me afar off, I just make a turn and he's ready to run to me. And to you. So now it's your move. Let's stand and sing.